Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 339-er. It doesn't matter who your dad is. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter if you have a trust fund. It doesn't matter what kind of spoiled brat you are. When you get in that kitchen, you're the same as everyone else. Mm. And if you can't do a job, they are going to bounce you out very quick. And it's true. Kitchen's a bunch of misfits. But you know what? When those misfits get together on a Friday night, they it's a, a symphony, an orchestra. It's whatever it is by the time service is over with all the beautiful food that we've, we've put out. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge. Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Hiring a consultant to train your staff and to improve your restaurant can be expensive. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could just get advice from world champion baristas and leading restaurant consultants without spending thousands of dollars? Tipsy believes you should have the chance to learn new skills whenever you need to, which is why they have hundreds of hospitality courses available for only $9 a month. To give you a little something extra, as a restaurant unstoppable listener, you can also get 50% off your first month. All you gotta do is Click the tipsy banner in the show notes. Get on it. Are you opening a restaurant and stressing out with where to start? Or perhaps you've already opened your restaurant and you're finding yourself completely overwhelmed with the day-to-day task that only you know how to do. If you feel this way, I've got good news. You don't have to do it alone, nor should you regain control of your business and your life with restaurants owner.com and if you go to restaurantowner.com slash unstoppable you will get a 10 day pass for only one dollar get on it with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest chef edward mendoza chef are you feeling unstoppable today my man absolutely unstoppable yes sir so Chef Edward Mendoza comes from Augusta, Georgia, and has a bachelor's degree in business management from Augusta State and a culinary degree he earned in Vail, Colorado. He would go on to cook all around the country and world and has garnered countless accolades along the way. Today, he is the owner of Kachina 503 and serves as corporate chef at major events like the Masters, U.S. Open, Kentucky Derby, uh, Super Bowl, in Salt Lake City Olympics, and you're—I mean, you—you you consult all over the world, Belize as well. I mean, I don't know how you do it. Uh, my head was spinning uh, in the, the hour and a half before this interview, really trying to lock down your story. It's, it's amazing what you've—you've you've done in, in your time as a professional chef and restaurateur, dude. It really is. And uh, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra, chef. Take it away. Well, we have a rule in our kitchen, don't be that guy. Okay. <laughs> you know, it goes under it goes under everything. It's it's motivational, it's derogatory, it's it's everything. Just don't be that guy. You know who that guy is, everyone knows who that guy is, and if if it's questionable, don't be that guy. Awesome. And uh I'm curious, like I mean that that is just setting the culture, but how do you really uh paint the picture of that guy uh it's just through constant like uh in the moment calling people out like how do you really uh identify that guy 
Well, we have, you know, we have strict standards. Everyone knows what they need to do when they come in. It's, it's laid out for them. It's set out. Prep lists are, are done. We do everything from scratch every day. Everyone knows what they're, what they're expected to do. And, you know, you just don't be that guy. <laughs> all right. Pretty straightforward. I like it. So, all right, let's uh, kind of paint a picture uh, of who you are. Dive a little deeper, uh, starting with, uh, you know, when did you know that you were going to have a career in hospitality? It looked like it was pretty early on. Well, I was, I was a kid with a lot of energy. So my parents had to find something to do with me. So on the weekends, I would wash dishes at a local deli on Friday and Saturday nights. I started when I was 14. All right. And then from there, I got shipped off to boarding school. And, you know, like I said, I, was, <laughs> I found my fair share of trouble. So we had punishment hours. And in my punishment hours, I would work in the mess hall or the cafeteria. And we would have to load in all the food and do all that. And from there, I just worked always in restaurants through through college and then after college, I went, you know, I went to culinary school, and it just kind of stuck with me. I never did anything else. My jobs have always been in restaurants and I, since I can remember. I've never had a job that isn't a restaurant-related job. Yeah. You know, hundreds of interviews with restaurant tours now, and I'm seeing uh, a pattern of uh, people who really excel in this industry uh, typically did not excel in school. Uh, you caused trouble. Were you? Did you do well in school, or did you – what were we like as a student? I was, I was bright, but I did not do well in school. <laughs> so, what do you think it is uh, that it, it, that's in us that uh, enables us to really excel at life and business and being a restaurant owner, but not really well at the, the academic or uh, classroom environment? You know, I don't know what the, you know. They say it and everything. Watch out for the guy who's last in his class, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> For whatever reason, you know, I don't know. And most chefs, if you look at it, those are those guys that are that are last in the class. I don't know how you how you describe it, but they've kind of kind of figured out the system and figured a way to beat the system and made the system their own system. Yeah, uh, man, it's just kind of one of those things that uh, you just notice. But anyway, uh, I, dude, you really have me like searching all over the internet trying to paint the picture of your career because you've just done so much. It was hard to get it all straight. So. Um, let's just kind of fast forward to um, when you opened your first restaurant, which was in 2011. So we're going to skip over like 11 years, uh, basically, from when you graduated uh, Vail, Colorado, to opening your first restaurant, 2011, Kitchen 1454. Um, in your opinion, uh, the things that contributed to the opening of that restaurant, like, Kind of just like touch on the big things that you think were most pivotal or pivotal in your uh, evolution as a professional. Well, I always knew I wanted to work for myself. I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. You know, I've always knew that I do things a little bit differently and I needed to be my own boss. So it was always a goal to have my own my own restaurant. I mean, you host a party every every night. Who doesn't want to do that? Yeah. You know four people it might be 200 people but every night you're open you host a host a party whether it's an anniversary whether it's a birthday whether it's a wedding shower whether it's just casual neighbors having having dinner but you know i love the fact that every night i get to host a host a party i was always always drawn to that and i always wanted to work for my self and then through working through other people 
Uh, you know, I opened a couple other restaurants along the way with other people's money, took my notes, did what I was supposed to do, see what we did right, see what we did wrong. And then I, you know, when it was time and I moved here back from uh, Dallas, I felt like it was, I was ready to do my, do my own. It's a, it's not a step. It's not a jump. It's a, I don't know what you call it. It's more than a leap. It is, you know, it's, it's life changing. Like once you open a, a restaurant, it's a, it's a, it's a pure lifestyle. So one thing uh, I just picked up from that little riff you had is uh, opening restaurants from other people and uh, learning uh, what to do, what not to do. So uh, take us through some of those big lessons from, uh, you know, just chronologically, like the big lessons you've learned, what to do, what not to do. Well, you know, I've opened a couple different restaurants from a small neighborhood bistro to Nobu. Okay. So when we opened the Nobu in Dallas and, you know, you, you see the money spent as you open a restaurant and you really understand. I think one of the biggest lessons I took from it and that you really have to understand is for every $1 you spend, you need to be prepared to do $3 in sales to pay for that dollar. Okay. You know, and that's the, the thing that people don't, don't understand. They look at the, the rent or the lease or whatever it may be. And they say, well, it's only $3,000, uh, a month. Well, yes, it is. But when you have to put in your labor, your insurance, your taxes, your maintenance, your everything else behind it, you have to do $9,000 in sales to pay your rent. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that's what people understand. They see the numbers on paper and they think that it's, it's really dollar for dollar, but it's really not. It's mm. really $3 for every $1, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And it's a good little rule of thumb. Um, uh, what other were like? What else were there for like just really big uh, lessons learned as, as far as how to treat people, as far as uh, business uh, concepts, m mentalities? Really dive into it. Yeah, I mean, you know, you have to you have to have a firm standard. You have to treat people. I, I learned standards are very important. Ian, if you're going to be successful, if you look at every company that's successful, most companies are successful. They have stringent standards, and there's a reason for it. You know, if you have your vision and you want people to work within your vision, they have to they have to believe in and do in what you think. And if you don't have that standard set or you don't have that vision laid out for them, they can't follow it. All right. Where did you learn about firm standards and their importance? Well, we always you know, I was fortunate. I went to culinary school and one of my good friends in culinary school, we decided early on. If you're going to do this, you know, my analogy is you might as well learn to fly jets because you can always go back and fly biplanes. But <laughs> once you learn to fly biplanes, it's much more difficult to learn to fly jets. So I started out working in all high-end restaurants. I was very fortunate. I went to a culinary school in Vail. Vail is a great food city. You know, it has a lot of high-end restaurants. I had a great chef I worked for there. He taught me a lot of, a lot of life lessons a lot of lessons, you know, and that's where I really saw a, a classic French kitchen and standards. And to be honest, he failed me for my externship and I had to go back and retake it because I was such a hot mess. And that's one of the things that really made me understand that this is a, a rigid, a rigid 
lifestyle. You know, it doesn't matter how many hooligans you put in the kitchen. They're all going to follow the standard of the kitchen. Or if they don't, you're going to bounce them out pretty quick. And they take care of themselves if you're in a serious kitchen. Yeah. And, you know, just listening to what I'm putting together is uh, go get experience opening restaurants uh, for other people with other people's money. Learn the lessons and don't settle for any restaurant. Get jobs at the best restaurants because that's where you're going to have the highest standards and you're going to be held to just being the best version of yourself you possibly have to be just to to get by. Uh, It really forces you into that uh, role of excellence. Would you agree with that? Yeah, well, this is a, a, a profession, you know, so just like anything, any profession, you have to put in your time and you have to put in your, your, your hours to acquire the skills that are, that are necessary. And part of that is, too, you have to have a great mentor. You have to have good mentors or good people you look to along the way to do it, you know. Restaurants are hundreds of years old. You're, you're not reinventing anything that hasn't been done. You're just improving it and putting your your twist on it so you have to find people that have been successful in what they've done over a long period of time and emulate them would you uh uh, agree with this statement that the best restaurant tours tend to also be the best mentors uh i think it takes both you know you have to be a good mentor if you're going to be a restaurant tour because on any given day you have to be a psychologist you have to be an accountant you have to be a a repairman that fixes the plumbing, you know, so you have to be well-rounded and you have to be able to do any, any and everything. That's the thing about a, a restaurant is there's so many moving pieces all the time. Yeah. Uh, there's one uh, analogy uh, to keep it kind of to like the, the plane, the airplane analogies. It's like running a restaurant. It's like being a mechanic on an airplane that's still flying. Uh, and it's like, there's so much going on and you can never take the time to really land and stop everything because that's when you start hemorrhaging money. So yeah, like, like you said, like there's, it, you got to know so much. It's so important. Um, so, okay. Um, are there any other like major p- pivotal, like aha moments from the time, uh, you graduated in 1999 to the time you really started focusing on opening your first place in 2000, uh, was it 11 or 16, which uh, 11 was the, the first one. We bought an old Waffle House and we okay. turned it into a farm fresh diner. And I've since closed that. I still own the property. I bought the property and now I lease it to a, a donut shop in town. Okay. So I own the real estate on that. And then after we moved that, I rolled that into Cucina, which is my nighttime Italian restaurant. All right, cool. So take us through the uh, motions of... First, having the vision for Kitchen 1924, uh, getting the funding, uh, opening the restaurant, uh, pivoting and evolving while you're in business to closing and opening Kitchen 1454, like starting with the vision. So when did you have the vision for Kitchen 1924? Well, 1454 was really kind of, we fell into it. I moved back here and I was going to open a burger shop and we were doing construction on this burger shop and we just started i signed a year lease i had very cheap rent and as i was driving to get wood to rebuild the frames for the bathrooms i saw this waffle house that was for lease and it was in the middle of three hospitals and i said there's no way i can't make this work so i called him 
And within two weeks, I had signed the lease. And within six weeks, I had the place open and we opened a diner. And, you know, we used local farmers. We got all farm fresh eggs. We did everything from scratch. And from there, we, we, had, we only opened for breakfast and lunch. So I started a catering company. And we did events and catering throughout the, the city. And we took over a catering hall, which gave me the capital and the extra money to get going and start saving. And we bought a food truck. So then from there, we took the food truck and I started saving again. And that's when we took that and rolled it into Kuchina. Okay. So uh, the Kitchen 1454, 2011, you, you mentioned uh, that you just knew it was going to work uh, because of the location. Uh, really dive into why you knew it was going to work. Well, I knew it was going to work because we didn't have an option. <laughs> you know, I had my, I opened it on $16,000, which is a crazy low budget for wow. a restaurant. I was very fortunate. I had a lot of the equipment in it already and failure wasn't an option. You know, I was in there every morning at five o'clock and I worked every day till five o'clock and I worked seven days a week. And I just, there, there wasn't an, an option of failure. It wasn't in the cards. I didn't have a, there is no parachute. There is no backup plan. There is no trust fund. There is no any kind of, you know, bailout for me. I am the bailout. So therefore, failure just wasn't an option. I knew it was going to work because I didn't have another option. But chef, I feel like there's tons of people out there where failure is not an option, but they still fail. So why didn't you fail? What What, what is it about you that, or and how you did things that made you not fail? Well, I'm going to tell you. I made many mistakes along the way that possibly maybe we should have failed, but I'm going to tell you what we have going for us in Augusta that makes it very fortunate. And it's the Masters Golf Tournament. So every year they come here and we do tons of catering. I've built my catering now to where I fly in 20 chefs that week and we'll do 5,000 meals in 16 different venues across the, the city. So that influx every year of capital has really allowed us to grow and grow and blossom. Okay. So take me through uh, a time where you should have failed, uh, but you have the influx of capital to come in that kind of picked you back up. Well, when I closed the, the kitchen, okay, to open Kuchina, because we knew we couldn't focus on both for that year in between until I got the lease and I got the donut shop in there it was very difficult because we were opening a brand new restaurant and I was run and paying all the bills on the, on the kitchen downtown that was empty. But because of masters, we could use that as a catering kitchen and I could justify keeping it and paying for it for the year and buying it. Masters gave me the cash flow to allow me after two years to, to put a wow. significant, down payment down and, and buy it you know i'm very fortunate in that i own a own a property as a as a restaurateur and that's a big deal that is one of the biggest things i think i could stress as a restaurateur that's changed me is if you have the ability to buy your space or buy your property do it because you're paying yourself monthly yeah really dive into why that that's so important if you can just like break it down well you know, if you look at what the average restaurant pays, and depending on square footage, you're paying probably between four to eight thousand dollars a month in rent. Okay, well that's fifty to sixty thousand dollars a year. So take your interest out of it, and if you look at it, 
and you make your rent payments, you're still paying yourself then $40,000 a year, which allows you to put equity in your company. And eventually when cash flow is short or lines are short, you can pull lines of, of credit. You know, your overhead and your bills successfully should, should take care of your, your rent, no problem. So if you do that and you own the property, well, then you're paying yourself every month, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And, and uh, one other thing that I, I want to point out, uh, you moved into a turnkey operation. You only invested $16,000. Uh, the hoods were in, the equipment The equipment was in. Um, talk to us about the importance of really keeping your opening uh, costs as low as possible. Well, like I said, failure wasn't an option for me. <laughs> I didn't have that much, you know. We started with, uh, just to be kitschy, we started with cafeteria plates, three-compartment plastic cafeteria plates, you know? And then we finally ended up, as I got enough money, I went and I bought, I bought regular regular china and plates. But the one thing that we did do along the way is we didn't get anything if we couldn't pay for it. And we didn't open up with any debt. And that is my biggest blessing that I've had is I don't have any debt to service as a, as a company. And that's what allows an off month. Where did you, okay. So first of all, like, yes, that is awesome. I I see and hear about people all the time uh, who have this incredible vision, right? And they go for it straight out of the gates and they, no no matter what the cost, um, why is that stupid? Why can that be so dangerous? Well, competition nowadays i mean if if you look at it and depending on what you do i mean there's there's new restaurants opening up every day there's new restaurants closing every day you know everyone has your your same vision but competition is is very very stiff and if you don't you know people people nowadays they want they respect their dollar so if you don't provide a good service and a good meal they're not going to come back Mm. um so i'm curious um uh, it sounds like you, uh, when you were first getting open, for you, it, it was st- staying in the black, you know, not getting in the red, st- keeping your cost down as low as possible. Uh, you're using, you said, styrofoam, like three portion plates. Uh, oh, no, we, the, the melanin, like oh, you get it oh, okay. at a cafeteria. Got you, got you. Um, is that still what you're doing, or do, have you scaled over time? And uh, how, what are you like now compared to what you were like when you first opened? Oh, you can't even compare. Now we're, uh, you know, we're a white tablecloth, full service restaurant. We have, you know, you can come eat a eight course meal here and get a different plate for each each course. So we've, you know, Masters has been has been good to us. We've grown, and there's, you know, there's no at this point there's no toy, there's nothing that we don't have. We have immersion circulators. You know, we have. Uh, cryovac machines we have dehydrators we have spirificators i mean there's nothing there's no tools or anything that we don't have or we don't play with now because we've been fortunate with the masters all right let's talk about the importance of scaling so i really want to like kind of hone in on the what that process looked like for you um so how did you like know how to prioritize uh the the scaling process what to do next where to step up uh the, the standards here where to step up the standards there like take us through that journey because you guys opened in 2011 so or that was kitchen 1554 that was 1554 or, and we were just uh yeah sorry. it was it uh, was what, what we would call the rock and roll kitchen it was a lot of fun it was just like a waffle house it was an open kitchen we we're in the middle of the the medical district which puts three big hospitals around us so from 11 30 to 1 30 
we would do all uh, fire to order fresh vegetables, meats, sandwiches, uh, you know, and that's what built my my reputation in Augusta and allowed me to open up Cucina 503 with such success. Okay. Got you. Uh, but when was the vision for something grand like you're doing now? Like, when did that come into your mind? Well, living in Augusta, I always wanted to own a corporate hospitality company. You know, you see the masters that comes here every year and you start working at 14 and 15 and you see these guys that, that jet set in for the week and stay in these houses and go to these golf tournaments and wine and dine. And, you know, it has a, a mystique to it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and around here, you know, the masters is a lot of people make a living on the, on the masters. It's very fortunate for, for Augusta. It's, it's such a wonderful event. The Augusta national takes such great care of the city. You know, there's such a partner to the, to the city everyone rents their homes out and leaves for the week and gets additional income it's uh it's amazing what it does for the the city okay i understand the 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 impact that the augusta uh golf tournaments uh have on the community um but i guess what i really want to know is um you started where you could and you really evolved over time strategically it seems like uh so how how do you know how to prioritize uh the the evolution if somebody only has a certain amount to start with um what would you recommend they focus on well i'm weird because of the masters <laughs> i got very lucky yeah, yeah, you know yeah. i got open we got a lot of catering contracts fast so i i'm not going to say i didn't struggle because trust me it was a struggle through the first five years but it, it allowed us a lot of flexibility and it allowed us a lot of stuff, you know, and the, the contracts of the masters took us to do a big party for sprint down at the, and, and Hilton head where we put, took 30 people down there and did it on the beach. And it's just provided a lot of good catering and contracts that have allowed us freedom. If that makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely does. Uh, and I'm curious, what were the so biggest, I guess the way that you, the, the way I prioritized it was the way that the money came in. You know, I hate to say it, but like I said, we took over a banquet hall and we took over the catering and, you know, from the kitchen, I was forced to cater. I didn't love to cater, but I was forced to cater because the money was so good. Mm. So I'm curious. um, I mean, being in Augusta, uh, I mean, you couldn't have been the only people catering is just because there's such a influx of people with need for catering that there's just enough um, demand that everybody can do well like what makes it so you and your group was doing so well well one the influx yeah. i mean there is there's a there's a good you know every year it comes it's it's an annuity no matter what the masters is coming is coming back and you know the, the same people are coming back the major corporations are coming back so if you can establish relationships and contracts with them every year at when the year's over you, you say what you want to change for next year and you hit the repeat button if you do a good job and it makes it makes life very nice as a restaurateur. All right. Uh, so the other thing um, I, I kind of want to dive into is uh, the the level at which, uh, I mean, we can't say who you cook for or who you cater for, but uh, you have kind of the elite, uh, I guess, contract. So what is it about what you We're do? For, you know, we cook for... 
some of the professionals that play on the tour. We cook for the, some of the major, you know, corporations that, that come in town and are associated with it. You know, there's only about, Augusta's a small town, so there's only about seven or eight chef-driven or small-owned restaurants. So, therefore, those chefs take advantage of masters, you know. All of us throughout the city, somebody takes one corporation, somebody takes another corporation, somebody takes another corporation. And it's the beautiful thing is there's enough and that it can be spread around so that there's it's not a competition, okay? No one is, is cutthroat. No one's going after everyone else. Everyone respects everyone else. It's a, it's, it's a great, great thing we have here. All right. Um, so – Basically, it's just it's like the perfect storm is basically what I'm hearing from you. It's such a small, tight knit community, and there's such a massive influx of business that comes annually. Uh, but during the off seasons, it's still you know such a small community that um, you know it. The community supports itself. Yeah, uh, it's really interesting. So. All right, let's kind of go back like 30,000 feet and uh, just talk about uh, the biggest lessons, the biggest aha moments. Uh, you know. If you could just share with us the, the the things that you've learned that you know to be true uh, over the years you've been doing this, like starting with number one, like what's the most important thing you've learned? Well, my biggest aha moment was when I thought I was going to graduate culinary school and I went to get my externship and my chef, you know, rightfully so, failed me. <laughs> and I had to go back and retake a whole nother externship. And that's when I learned, listen. It doesn't matter who your dad is. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter if you have a trust fund. It doesn't matter what kind of spoiled brat you are. When you get in that kitchen, you're the same as everyone else. Mm. And if you can't do a job, they are going to bounce you out very quick. And it's true. Kitchen's a bunch of misfits. But you know what? When those misfits get together on a Friday night, they it's a, a symphony, an orchestra. It's whatever it is by the time service is over with all the beautiful food that we've, we've put out. And what is the second biggest lesson, biggest aha moment you've learned in your journey? Uh, the show must go on. Okay. Like I've been in a lot of restaurants throughout time where someone will walk out or someone will leave or, you know, something will happen or, you know, but like we said, like once you get the machine up and rolling, the, the show must go on. You know, there's no time to sit around and cry and worry about what happened. You better figure it out because the guests are coming the next day or the next hour or the next table or whatever whatever it may be. But the show must go on no matter what. So really dive into that. Uh, what what do you think makes people crumble uh, when they can't accept that the show must go on? What, what's going on internally, emotionally? Well, the kitchen's a tough place. You know, let's not let's not lie. There's yelling, there's screaming, there's pressure. You know, I mean, it's uh, – it's not your average work site. It's a hundred to 105 degrees when you're working on a, you know, on the line on a Friday night, it's, you know, no one can get their food fast enough. No one can get their food hot enough. No plate, you know, every plate has to look, look perfect. So there's a, there's a lot of pressure in the kitchen. I don't think until people really get into a professional kitchen, they understand the intensity of a, of a professional kitchen. Absolutely. Uh, so how, would we deal with that? Is the, is it just to, to remember that the show must go on? And is that like a, a mental trick that you uh, deploy on yourself to kind of get over the, uh, the nerves just to focus on doing the work? Like I can't let my nerves get, get control of me. 
Yeah, I mean, you have to. It's just like anybody who does does anything, any good athlete, any does anything. You you have to focus and you have to have your time and you can mentally put yourself where you need to to be. You know, it's it's no different than, than anything. You have to prepare for it and you have to be prepared. You never know what's going to come at you, but you have to be able to hold your your composure because you are the you're the general. You know, you're the leader of the restaurant. Everyone looks to you to see what how you're going to react, and then they're going to react off of your your emotion and your reaction. So yeah, you have to hold it together all the time. Awesome. And the third, uh, just big lesson. Uh, if you could just drop one more bomb on us, uh, th- something, you know, to be true that has contributed to your success. Uh, and we've set up, watch the money for every $1 you spend, you need to make three to replace it. So that is the, that is the key. You know, when you look at something, I don't look at something that it costs $300, I look at something as, is it worth $900 of my sales? Okay. And um, is there a method or uh, something you practice to really keep uh, your books under control? Like, what what approach do you take? Well, I'm an unorganized disaster. <laughs> so I keep an accountant and I keep a bookkeeper that I meet with on a regular basis that keep go. me keep me straight. You can't be, you can't be great at everything. And keeping the keeping the books and keeping all that is a is a hot mess with me. So I have an automated POS computer system that dumps into my QuickBooks. I have a QuickBooks girl who goes over all my my books with me, and then we turn that into my accountant at the end of the year, and he does all my P and Ls and taxes and everything. So another thing is, you know, know your strengths, know your weaknesses, and know where to uh, pass some stuff off because there's so many, like we said, there's so many moving pieces that if you think you can do it all, I don't think there's many people that can successfully do it all. Yeah. Uh, I 100% agree with you. And when did you learn this about yourself that you were a hot mess when it came to the books and uh, was there a disaster that came of it? And did you, or have you always been using an accountant and a bookkeeper? No, I mean, I started doing it. I realized it because my first year I had to do it myself. I couldn't afford an accountant and a bookkeeper, you know, but I did learn that one of the biggest things I can say to a young restaurateur or someone starting out, you know, is I used a payroll company and it was huge because it pulled my quarterly taxes and it paid my taxes and it kept me on, on track, you know, same with your, uh, your, your sales tax. It's really, those people are going to get their money, <laughs> you know? So if you don't put it aside, it's going to get you behind and that's going to be one of your biggest downfalls and hardest pits to dig out of. So I would recommend that you have someone who, who messes with you and deals with your payroll taxes your first year and deals with and helps you deal with your, your sales tax. Yeah, we're in a hot topic right now. This is the power of uh, you know surrounding yourself with people who are good at what they do and the impacts that can have on your business. And I'm curious, aside from accounting and bookkeeping, uh, what other uh, roles or responsibilities would you recommend outsourcing uh, to be as impactful as possible? Well, it depends on what the restaurateur's strengths or weaknesses are. You know, you have to outsource what works what works best for for you. I've found that for me to sit in front of a computer, for me to sit in front of a thing and try to try to do all that, it's counterproductive. It wastes time. I get frustrated. I can't do it. So, you know, I'm much better off going and making three more dishes that are that'll sell for specials, and then figuring out how to sit down and spend the money with them. Mm. So. Was there anything else that you've outsourced since uh, outsourcing the bookkeeping? Uh, no, we we do everything else in house. Okay, 
if you could outsource one more thing that you think would allow you to do what you do, uh, to free you up to do more of what you do best, what would it be? Well, I would, I'd like a catering girl, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I'd like someone who I, I handle all the, most of the corporate accounts and I handle all that stuff. And I, I do all that. I do have a kind of a, an assistant during that master's time that does take all the emails and, you know, return all the emails and stuff. But I think if we have the full-time catering girl, which I'm looking into, that's what really will propel and grow our, our business. And exactly uh, what roles are you talking about when you say a full-time catering girl? Like what would it be her re- responsibilities? Uh, meeting with guests, planning menus, party planning, menu, uh, wedding planning, you know, being the, the, the first point of, of contact, because I'm difficult to get in touch with. It takes three or four emails or two phone calls or, you know, I have a million things going on. So if I had someone that was a better first point of contact, I think it'll, it'll help us. Do you think that would have to be somebody who would be on site or could you outsource that to like a virtual assistant? Uh, no, I think it needs to be somebody on site. They need to know our product. Uh, all right, cool. They need to believe in it. You know, if you don't believe in it and you don't know the product, you're not going to have a good time. You're not going to have a, a great time selling it. That makes sense. So, Chef, up to this point, we've learned a lot about what's contributed to your success. Uh, you shared some of your schools of thought. Uh, I really want to get a story about a time you fell hard on your ass because I think that's really we, – we can learn the most from the failures of other people. So tell me, and my listeners, about a time where you just really failed hard. Take us through that. Well, you know, sometimes, sometimes you get set up a little bit too, but I can remember – Probably four or five years ago, we were doing a, I told you I took over the uh, banquet club (laughs) and we were doing a big party for one of the local banks in town and no one failed to tell us, this was early in the beginning of the year, that the bank had started this uh, diet throughout the whole bank, okay? And whichever bank lost the most weight would, uh, would get some kind of cruise or trip. So we get to this bank party. And you know it's a it's a meat and a and a couple of vegetables and a and a starch of potatoes. <laughs> well, we didn't know this whole bank was on a diet, so nobody eats the meat, nobody eats the potatoes. The first two hundred people go through, or however many people go through, and eat all the vegetables. So we're left with like thirty or forty people left at the end of the banquet, and all all we have left is a bunch of meat and potatoes because no one told us they wanted. Everyone was on this diet, and no one this bank wanted to eat, and it was just we looked. It was a hot mess. We looked horrible. <laughs> Uh, so what is the big lesson here, uh, to, to, to take away from that story? Well, you know, we do now in our caterings and in our stuff, we, we ask, are you guys doing any kind of promotions, any kind of anything? Do you guys have anything going on that we should know about that would change the menu? You know, it's, it's little stuff like that. You never think about until it happens and then it's too late. So what I'm hearing is, uh, with catering, you can never be too proactive. Uh, it's about really paying attention to the details and opening up the dialogue to find out what can I do to really blow the experience of these people away? Oh yeah. You can't be too prepared for catering, you know, because you're packing your, you're packing your whole kitchen, your whole operation and you're, and you're moving it, moving it away from, from what you normally, normally do. So yeah, there's no, there's no over preparation for for catering catering is it you know and then when you talk about catering and you talk about these events you do generally you're doing someone's retirement someone's wedding someone's anniversary someone's engagement so you know these are big points in in people's lives so there's not a lot of room for for error either Mm. that's a good point that you make uh because i feel like if your role 
or your responsibilities as a caterer is to, you know, keep doing like this, you know, you, we do so many events, so many events for, for you. It's just another event, but for this person, the guest, it, it's like the most important day of their life sometimes. So what's your advice uh, to never lose sight of that? You know, the show must go on. It is, you know, like <laughs> yeah. you're going to have a bad event. You're going to have a good event. It just must go on. But what you have to realize is the same thing that every chef is driven. When you wake up every day, if you don't put your heart and soul into what you're doing, uh, I don't think you're a chef. Awesome. You know, you just have to, you have to love it, live it. And it just keeps, it keeps going no matter what. You're going to have some goods. You're going to have some bads. Everybody has scraped knees and bruises. You know, it's just how you, you know, it's the bandaid that you put on it once you have it. Awesome. So we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. Whether you're just getting started in the restaurant business or if you're a seasoned veteran, there's always something new to learn that never ends. But what hasn't changed is the time you get to learn. Tipsy has taken everything you need to know and put it in one easy-to-access location. With Tipsy, you can learn what you want, when you want, by accessing an incredible library of video courses on topics like food and beverage, service, marketing, and business operations. It's basically a one-stop shop for everything you need to run a successful restaurant. You can also use Tipsy as a staff training tool. Through the management platform, you can select the courses that matter to you and schedule them out to your employees in a few simple clicks. Individual memberships are only $9 a month, and as a restaurant unstoppable listener, you receive an extra 50% off your first month. So what are you waiting for? For $4.50, you can have access to this incredible resource right now. Just find the Tipsy banner in the show notes. After studying over 300 successful restaurant professionals, I've discovered that to be successful in the restaurant industry, you need skills that go far beyond knowing how to cook. All of our guest mentors are damn near experts on business operations, systems, and culture. That is not a coincidence. That is what it takes to be successful. This is exactly why I tell everyone I know who wants to open a restaurant or is in the restaurant business to get a membership to restaurantowner.com. For only $29 a month, you have access to over 300 templates, including business plans, checklists, forms, manuals, and procedures. In addition, you have countless resources at your fingertips. To join a community that has helped over 40,000 restaurant owners make better lives for themselves, head over to restaurantowner.com slash unstoppable and because you are restaurants unstoppable listeners you will get the first 10 days for only one dollar again that's restaurantsowner.com slash unstoppable we're back and the first question i have for you chef is what is your it factor a trait a habit a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success Consistency. All right. You know, yeah, consistency is very important. When people come into the to the restaurant, they expect they expect a good meal every time. They expect the same the same thing. You know, we and it's difficult. We don't really use recipe books. We're a from scratch kitchen. We make our pasta from scratch every day. We make our sauces a la minute. And, you know, they're pan sauces. So it does it does change a little bit. But it's getting those guys to to make the stocks the same, you know, to make the pasta the same, to make everything the same so that when you come in, 
it's it's consistent. You know, that's why those big chains make it. It's you know, when you go to Outback, what kind of steak you're gonna get. It doesn't matter if you're in Reading, Pennsylvania, or you're in San Diego, California, you're in Augusta, Georgia, you know, they consistently provide a product and that's why they're busy because you know what you're gonna get, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And what is one trick or uh operational procedure, something you can share with us to uh maintain consistency. Uh I I don't know, like a, a practice that you employ. You know, you have to you have to monitor and stay on your walk-ins and your your coolers. Cleanliness is cleanliness is a key to consistency. If you're not dating and labeling and moving your products through possibly, you know, rotating and doing all that stuff, you can't keep a, a good consistent kitchen. And how do you keep that standard? Is there like a do you use a photos or uh like uh charts or is it just everybody knows what it's what the picture of perfection looks like and you train? Yeah, no, we really don't have a we don't have a photo, we don't have a have a chart. We kinda you know we go through the dishes, we do a lot of tastings, we do a lot of trainings. We're always putting up food for the staff to taste so they know what it what it is and everyone you know, everyone's on the on the same page. We meet once a week and go over the menu and make sure add changes, take away changes, things that are working, things that aren't. So it's just that constant gentle pressure of you uh, enforcing what the standards are and constantly reminding people that this is what we do. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a it's a chef driven restaurant, and I'm telling you, when I'm not in the kitchen, it's different. It's you know True. that doesn't make it better, and you know it's not bad. It's just different. Gotcha. That's all. What is your biggest weakness? Uh, organization. <laughs> you know, <laughs> keeping the books, keeping the keeping the catering, keeping all that. You know, I'm uh, I'm a mile a minute. I got ninety things going on all the time. My my organization skills could definitely be tighter. Have they improved since you've gotten started? Absolutely. And how well, so? How they improved, I realized that I couldn't do it all myself and I had to put the people in the positions to help me. Awesome. Great advice there. And uh, what is one piece of advice you have for leading others? Uh, be fair. What do you, you mean know, by that? People, people respect a fair leader. You know, you have to be fair. You have to be just across the board. You can't. There can't be pref- preferential treatment. It's just like a standard. It has to be fair. It has to be there, and it has to be adhered to. What is one question or thing you look for when you're trying to build your team or uh, hire other people? Well, I only have one one interview question, and I can tell so much by that. And it was asked to me when I was a young chef, and it stuck with me. And my one interview question I ask a cook when he comes in the back door is, tell me the last cookbook you've read. All right. And I can – by the cookbook, Jeff, or the cook tells me the last cookbook you read. I can probably tell you ten things about the cook just in the just in that one statement. What kind of things are you looking for? I'm looking for someone who's pushing themselves. I'm looking for someone who loves the and uh, respects the classics. You know, I'm looking. I don't want someone who wants to walk in and and sous vide everything if they can't saute. Okay. You uh, know. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I need. I want. I'm looking for a solid cook who re- respects the kitchen, respects the the food. You know, it takes it takes that to to pull off what we do. What about the excitement in which they respond to your your question? Um, you know, I've had my same my same kitchen staff now for for three or four years. So we we 
it's exciting. You know, we keep it interesting back there. I think the, the guys believe in, in what we do and that is in, that's important in itself too. Currently. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. If you can't get everyone to believe in your vision and do what you do, you're not going to have a successful operation. Oh, I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so important. Just getting people to buy in, uh, to the purpose. Uh, absolutely. And that vision, uh, and what is, your current challenge right now staffing how are you overcoming that staffing staffing in a in a small town like this it's difficult to find good cooks you know you find a lot of people that that can go to to culinary school and come out and call themselves chefs but they can barely boil water you know i mean it's it's unbelievable what some of these for-profit culinary schools have done to to kids these days, you know, they come out, think they should make $15, $18 an hour because they just graduated culinary school and they can't even emulsify a dressing. So I'm curious, do you think uh, culinary school is necessary to uh, make a career in hospitality? Um, I don't think culinary school is necessary to make a career in hospitality, but I am a firm believer in education and I'm a firm believer in educating yourself and, and pushing, pushing yourself. So I think culinary school opens up different, different thought processes and different ways that you see things. If you, if you use it properly, you know, it's just like anything. It's, it's what you make of it. If you go to culinary school and you decide not to work through culinary school and then for your externship, you go to a school cafeteria, you know, and work at a, at a high school cafeteria for your externship, I'm going to have a hard time calling you a, a chef. If you go to culinary school and you find a local restaurant and you're working every day and culinary school and then you go and you do an externship in that good restaurant and you go off and you do a stage somewhere else and you work somewhere else well, well then you're working your way into being a being a chef you know like we said a chef is a profession you just don't graduate culinary school and become a become a chef it takes a good 10 15 years after you graduate culinary school till you're rounded enough i think to really become or what people can call a chef so um that that challenge of finding the right people right now is across the boards, probably the biggest challenge for everybody in the industry. So what are you doing that sets you apart that allows you to, to attract on greatest to yourself? Well, you know, we train within, I was very fortunate. I taught at Le Cordon Bleu for a long time for five years when I was working in the restaurants in Dallas and we do, we do things a little bit different. You know, I bring people in, we train, we, we work on skills. We talk about classic methods of cooking you know we we have lecture once a week where they have to come in and and pass little little stupid tests whatever it may be you know what's an emulsification or what's a uh what's a uh you know what what temperature do you see the eggs at for you know for the carbonara or what you know whatever it may may be so we we're always pushing and moving moving forward so it's not just a job for these people it's going to be an education for them but how do you how do you market that to them how do they how do they know that they're going to get an education if they come work for you well it's it's word of mouth you know it's just like anything you know someone knows a friend who knows a friend or knows someone in culinary school or you have a student that you used to teach who's gonna gonna come work for you or whatever it it may be there's really no you know I mean, you have Star Chefs and you have, you know, some of these other chef websites, but those are for, for, for bigger, bigger companies. I think the restaurants that, you know, companies that have six, seven, eight restaurants, I only, only have one. It's harder to find that, that candidate. You have to beat on the doors of culinary schools. You have to find the new kids coming out, you know, 
there's always at least one or two hungry in every class. Yeah. So what I'm hearing from you is be more than just a paycheck. Uh, really uh, invest in these people and offer them something uh, that develops them as professionals. Well, it's a it's a kitchen. It's hard work, you know. And we all know that it's a, it's a restaurant, so the pay is not not great. But the experience, like I tell my guys, chase the experience, not the paycheck. If you chase the experience, the paycheck will come. But if you chase the paycheck, you're never you're always going to chase the paycheck. Mm. And what's one thing besides food that your restaurants do really well that separates you from other restaurants? Uh, you know, we have a great we have a great atmosphere. My staff is is very hospitable. I think we have a lot of regulars. People come in, they feel very relaxed, very uh, at home here. You know, we're different. We use a lot of local local farms. We, we make everything from scratch. The only thing that we don't make is our bread, and we get it shipped in from La Brea in California. And I would use a bakery in town, but there's really not a good bakery in, in Augusta, Georgia. So what does that impact of really sourcing all of your ingredients from local purveyors, farmers, uh, what does that do to the culture of your business? My guys love it. You know, we get excited on Tuesday and Wednesdays when the farmers bring in the, the, the beautiful Swiss chard or the big turnips or the, you know, the fresh – peaches peach season is kind of bad right now but you know the fresh peaches because we're in in georgia or the the beautiful tomatoes whatever you know it's it's crazy what a what a beautiful tomato all, all the chaos it'll cause in my kitchen when it comes in everybody's oh look at this look at this look at this. you know so it's uh it's fun it, it changes things i don't you know we have a I have a choice i like washing dirt off my vegetables and I'm curious, uh, what's your argument to that person that are, would say maybe that sourcing locally isn't a profitable business model? Well, you have to look at the big picture, okay? And yes, it costs more, but look at the jobs that you're creating and look at the impact you have. You know, those people, those farmers can now go feed their children and, you know, go buy fertilizer from the guy down the street who can feed his kids or, you know, so it keeps all the money local which is uh to me is important i like knowing that the people have as much passion about growing the food as i have about cooking it Mm, beautiful and what is one book that's a must read that will make us a better person or restaurant operator well i i have two books that i that i take and one of them is to a young chef okay it's called letters to a young chef by daniel Ballou. And he kind of just, it's as you start your career. And then another book I, I like to read all the time is called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Mm. Why is that book, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, so important? Because it helps provide a mental, a mental mindset. You know, your subconscious. Your subconscious helps makes, makes a decision for you. And you can either subconsciously every day believe that you're going to do well or you subconsciously believe that you're not going to do well. So you have to train yourself and work subconsciously, work hard in that you're going to do well so that whenever time an obstacle or whenever time something is, you know, not going to go your way subconsciously, you know that you can fight through it and do well. Like I said, the show must go on. So how do you keep that frame of mind at the top all the time? Well, you constantly push, you constantly work, you know, you constantly look to develop and see what you can do better. How can you improve things? You know, we look every week at our numbers and say, okay, well, we spent this on food this week. What did we do here? Where do we do that? What's selling? What's not selling? It's just, it's a, it's a constant, you know, it's constantly evolving. 
And I'm curious, uh, why do you continue to read this book? You read it once. Why read it again? Like I said, it's, it's a mindset. Mm. You know, you have to convince yourself to. Yeah. And uh, I know for a fact that that book is on Audible because uh, I listen to it at least once a year myself. So head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 339 or head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. If you haven't yet signed up for Audible, it will change your life. I'm telling you, I love audiobooks. And uh, what is one piece of technology you've adopted in your restaurant and how has it influenced operations? Uh, the emotion circulator. All right. You know, it's now where we have it where we adopt it to our cell phones and it's all on Wi Fi. And we can, we've figured out now how when we do catering and we do stuff like that, how to. You know, we make our meatballs from scratch, but how to bag them and put the sauce in them and keep them hot so that when we have a pickup, you know, we can still do great, great product. Beautiful. And uh, earlier you mentioned uh, that you uh, integrate your POS with your QuickBooks and it's like a direct entry. Uh, what setup, like what, what uh, POS are you using to enable you to do that? Uh, we just use uh, one called PosiTouch. All right. Awesome. And... Or it's actually POS Data Systems, and yeah, it just downloads into my my QuickBooks, and then my so that the sales can match up to make sure everything, all the deposits match up. Cool. And uh, with all the knowledge you have now, Chef, if you could go back to time, uh, say nineteen ninety nine, uh, you're just graduating culinary school, and give yourself one piece of business advice or life advice, what would it be? Keep your head down, shut up, work hard, and listen. Mm, beautiful. And. Uh, what is one question I could have asked you that would have brought more value to this interview? You know, I don't know. I think it's been a great interview. I, I, I look at this, you know, the, the other question I think that people uh, ask is, you know, what is one of the key ingredients and in, in what it takes to do this? And I guess the, the thing is I have to say is passion. If you don't have passion for, for a restaurant, you're not going to make it. Yeah. So if you're on the fence and you're not, you're not passionate about it and you don't, wake up thinking about it and you don't go to bed thinking about it i mean it's 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 an addiction it's sick but <laughs> you know it's funny i i caught you uh, uh saying that one of the articles they wrote on you um just that like you you don't wake up any day and go to a job you wake up and, and you go to work doing what you love and really dive into why uh that that idea of your work is your life is so important well you have to work 40 hours a week Okay, like life set it up like that. You can't, you, you, you know, some people have figured it out, but the majority of people have to work and the majority of people that work don't enjoy their jobs. So therefore that 40 hours then becomes a hard 40 hours. Well, I love my job. So my 40 hours is an easy 40 hours. And then the extra 40 hours I work behind it is just the 40 hours, you know? Yeah. So, so let me ask you, is there a work-life balance or is there just life? Uh, there's a, there's a work-life balance. There is, but like I said, I host a, a party every night, so I work more than I than I have a life balance. Uh, but that's what it takes your first five, seven, ten years to to do this if you're really gonna gonna do it. You're gonna have to, you know, any book that you read, you read, you know, Devil in the Kitchen by Marco Pierre White. You read Thirty Two Yokes by Eric Repair. You read any book that you read you read marcus samuelson's book you know any of those books that you read those guys for the first 10 years of their their careers they dedicated themselves to it and 
that's just the way it is. You don't have an option if you really want to do this. There's so many aspects and there's so much to it that if you don't dedicate yourself to it, it's, you know, you can do anything half ass. Awesome stuff, Chef. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. We wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who's one person you admire? Uh, I think would be a great guest mentor like you've been for us today. That's how I found you. Uh, our boy called you out, Oscar. Uh, great guy. And who do you want to call out? So I'm going to call out TJ LaRosa. Okay. TJ owns a restaurant in McKinney, Texas called Food Bellies. And he is one of my main chefs that I fly in for Masters Week. That's kind of one of my right-hand men that handles one of my big accounts. So he uh, owns his own restaurant, has his own own company and everything going. So I think he could be one that could provide a lot of good good insight to these podcasts also. Chef TJ LaRosa, look out. I'm coming after you. I would love to get you on the show. And Chef, let the folks at home know uh, if we want to connect with you, maybe come join your team, be a part of what you're doing. What's the best way to connect? Kuchina503 uh, catering at gmail.com. Beautiful. Chef, thank you again so much for taking the time to join us uh, for not just being a, a restaurant owner, but being a mentor and really caring about the people that work for you and uh, being willing to develop them and to know that it's your responsibility as an owner to develop and mentor the next generation of professionals and just uh, for being a, a great guy and a great guest. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It was a great, great hour. I enjoyed it. Cheers. Thank you so much, Chef Mendoza, for taking the time to join us today. Great advice in today's episode. And for me, what really stood out is the idea of just starting small and uh, scaling up and uh, keeping your opening expenses as low as possible. $16,000 is all it took to open his first restaurant. Guys, in today's age, that is ridiculous. Uh, You will achieve your master vision but it doesn't have to be tomorrow start where you can scale over time grow over time and, and be patient it's something that comes up so much on the show don't don't set yourself up for failure uh and i love the advice of knowing your strengths and uh and getting people on board outsourcing uh where you're weak uh for him it was accounting and that's so smart because that's one area you can't screw around uh so be willing to spend money where uh you need to make up for your weaknesses great advice uh the other great piece of advice which came up a bunch was just the show must go on and when we let ourselves get stressed out or we lose our cool we freak out we we break down um we are affecting everybody around us. We are projecting a certain energy onto everybody around us. So you need to have that mentality of the show must go on. Uh, have that emotional intelligence to stub out uh, any um, emotion that might be trying to flood your brain and just remind yourself the show must go on. Do the work. Life goes on. Things aren't going to come crumbling down around us unless you let them. So the show must go on. And then lastly, uh, he understands the value of training and mentoring and developing young professionals. We live in a world today that's way too transactional. Uh, we, we pay money, we get an education. Uh, you know, I pay you, you, you are an employee of mine, and that's where it stops. Uh, that's not cool. We need to be transformative. We need to 
develop these people. Uh, these young people are the future. It, it is our role as professionals, as restaurateurs, as managers, as leaders to take these young people and to give them the skills to be successful. Um, they are a product of what we create for them. So if, if they're not delivering, uh, then take it upon yourself to to develop them and to bring them up to that level and have the patience and care for them. Uh, it sounds so woo-woo and so mushy-gushy, but uh, that's your job. That's all of our job. To And it will be their job someday too. So don't ever lose sight of that. So beautiful stuff. Uh, great interview today. Like always, guys, please do connect with me. Twitter and Instagram, Eric Cacciatore, Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. Keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. And I would love to chat with you. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash one-on-one. Let me know who you want to hear from. Let me know what your your challenges are in the industry. If I don't have the answer, I mean, I'm telling you, I, I know somebody who does. And I'll do what I can to connect you with the right people. So... I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. Thanks so much for sticking around this long. And until next time, peace out.